0: Hello, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode 967. On this week's episode, David Lorillow welcomes Alex Coffey, sports writer covering the Philadelphia Phillies for the Philly Inquirer. David and Alex are in Florida for spring training, and we're both at the Nick Castellanos press conference, and they talk about how he is going to fit into a team that can probably hit, but may struggle defensively. We also hear about things like Bryce Harper's remarkable batting practices and how he sets the tone in the clubhouse what great interviews Reese Hoskins and Kyle Gibson can be, the center field position battle, and talking to Kyle Schwarber's former teammates about what it is like to play with the new Philly.
1: I heard a really funny story from Lester, John Lester, when they were on the Cubs together about how um, <laughs> he would uh, always mess up a catch or something when he was in left field when Lester was pitching, which would infuriate him. And then when Lester was in his last season with the Cubs, Shorper made a video montage of all the times he had muffled a catch and Lester's reactions were included in the montage. And he played it to Sarah McLaughlin's I Will Remember You, which obviously is a hilarious combination of that video and (laughs) that music
0: but before we get to this conversation i must issue my weekly reminder for you to check out the fangraphs.com shop not only is it the best place for you to get your fangraphs merch but you can also get yourself an ad-free membership which is the best way to both browse and to support the website fangraphs members not only surf at blazing fast speeds but they also go to sleep at night knowing that they help keep fangraphs going thank you we couldn't do it without you enjoy the show
2: Hey, baseball fans, this is David Lorola. My guest is Alex Coffey of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Alex covers the Phillies, of course. He used to cover the Oakland A's for the Athletic. We're going to talk about both teams, you know, mostly the Phillies. But first, Alex, thanks for coming on to Fangraphs Audio.
1: Thanks for having me, David.
2: The Phillies are a new beat for you. I believe you joined the Inquirer just a few months ago
1: yes i did i joined at the end of january the very end so i started the beat in the midst of a lockout which was interesting very happy to be at spring training around the guys on the 40-man roster <laughs> that's a nice change of speed but yeah so i, I just i'm pretty new still i've only on the beat for about two months
2: and with the caveat that you know it's a new beat for you how does covering the phillies compared to covering the oakland a's
1: They're very different. I mean, just the way the organizations are run, obviously, the first thing that you would point to is payroll. The A's always rank among the bottom in terms of spending and the Phillies are obviously up there and this year they passed the luxury tax threshold. So yeah, it's the amount of money they spend, the way they spend it. You know, that's very different. I would say what I think is a similarity is having two I don't know exactly what Billy Bean's title is now, if it's changed or anything, but two president of baseball ops that are veteran guys. Everything kind of stems down from them. They seem to have they both seem to have a little bit of a politician in them, (laughs) kind of large than life personalities, so to speak. So I do think that that's a similarity, but yeah, definitely a lot of differences. And then obviously you have like a smaller fan base um, in Oakland, and then a bigger fan base, more vociferous in Philly. <laughs> so that's another difference too.
2: <laughs> and another big, big difference, Alex, and this isn't really team specific, but it's situation specific. We are coming off of two years with uh, a lot of Zooms. I will be happy to never be on another Zoom in my life. <laughs> and there hasn't been clubhouse access. We saw each other in the Phillies Clubhouse each of the last two days. And it is uh I think it's fair to say that the work we can get done there is markedly better than Zoom.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you have the chance to talk to guys one on one, but beyond that, you just have the chance to be around and they see that you're around and they get used to you and you can have casual conversations and, you know, pass someone in the hallway and you know, all those little interactions that make up a season vanish when you do things digitally like that. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely happy to be back in the clubhouse. I'm glad they, they let us back in.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, thankfully. I'm actually in Tampa as we are speaking on this moment where, you know, this is Wednesday evening. Earlier today, when I was in Clearwater, we were both at the Nick Castellanos introductory press conference. I found it entertaining. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I did too. He fires a lot of questions back at reporters, which is an interesting development. You know, I think it was MLB.com's Todd Zielecki asked him if he feels like he has an edge to his personality. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember exactly what the question was. But he responded by saying, do you think I have an edge? (laughs) So it'll make uh, covering him interesting for sure. But yeah, he definitely is vocal and it's clearly he's vocal, speaks his mind, you know, which from a journalist perspective is is a good thing because it makes the quotes interesting. It makes the stories interesting. People want to read it. So no complaints from me.
2: (laughs) For sure. And, you know, Nick does not always come off this way in, in interviews that I have heard in the past, read in the past, but... It was brought up multiple times, you know, by Scott Boros, for instance, who was there, know, Nick's agent, just how smart of, of a guy Nick is. I think maybe yeah. the way he expresses himself sometimes, he doesn't come off as like he's Sam Fold is the the Phillies GM. You know, I chatted with Sam today and uh he and Nick are smart people who communicate differently.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely you know, it's, it's kind of interesting, the messaging we were getting today, because Nick made the point that he, uh, he doesn't have a college degree. He just goes out and hits baseball. So it seems like he might be downplaying his own intelligence a little bit, but then Scott, on the other hand was saying, you know, his father's a doctor and he's a smart guy and all this stuff. So, so yeah, no, that's, that's an interesting point to make.
2: No, I recall that the line that Nick said, he said, uh, you know, as you said, I'm. I don't have a college degree. I think he said I I hit baseballs, and uh, I think that every beat writer who is in that room is using those lines in their stories <laughs> tonight and tomorrow.
1: Yes, yes. He uh, fed us those lines on a silver platter, so to speak.
2: <laughs> yeah, Kyle Schwarber uh, was also signed by the Phillies recently. I think it's fair to say that the Phillies have a lot of sluggers. Do they have enough guys who can catch the baseball?
1: Um. Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. I'm not sure. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, you know, over the course of this season, just because, you know, last season, it seemed like their infield was a real defensive liability. And, you know, adding Castellanos and Shorber in the outfield, at least statistically speaking, you know they aren't really tried and true defend you know super reliable defenders out there, at least according to d r s so my guess would be no, <laughs> but <laughs> i maybe I'll be proven wrong
2: no the a's team that you covered had Matt Olson at first and and Matt Chapman at third. you know those are guys who catch the ball as as well as anybody, and they do not play for the a's anymore. As a former Oakland beat writer, you know, what do you make of them shedding those two players?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm happy for them. I mean, I'm happy that they get to play in that they get the contracts that they deserve. And I'm happy that they get to play in markets, you know, markets that will see the incredible stuff that they do day in day out. I mean, Chapman is like a vacuum cleaner at third. He just catches everything and Olson, you know, makes Chapman look better because he's scooping up balls in the dirt, you know, he's he's kind of polishing everything off. So, yeah, they're both incredible defenders. You know, Olsen is also, he's a great power hitter too. Obviously, he's got big shoes to fill in Atlanta, but I think long-term that that's going to be a good deal for them and him, you know.
2: No, that's something we should maybe address more than that because uh, Atlanta Braves fans, based on what I'm seeing on social media at least, are freaking out because Freddie Freeman is, is no longer there. I wrote recently that Olsen actually had better numbers last last season. He had a higher WRC+, he had a higher war, he had more home runs. Is Matt Olsen underrated by fans outside of the AL West
1: I think so, you know, and you can say that about a bunch of these A's guys, but I'm going to preface this by saying that I have not looked at Freeman's numbers and Olsen's numbers side by side. I haven't really gone into that whole thing. I've been in Philly's land over here, but I do think that Olsen is underrated. It's going to be interesting to see how he performs on a bigger stage. I wrote a profile of him a couple months ago, or probably more than that, but you know, he's, he's always had a really good head on his shoulders. He's always had an ability to kind of you know, kind of a calming presence and ability to like manage stressful situations, kind of a calm under pressure. But obviously, at the big league level, we've only seen him at the, you know, with the A's in a ballpark that doesn't necessarily fill up. So (laughs) it's going to be interesting to see how he performs at this at this level. But based on what I know about his kind of makeup and character, I think he'll be okay.
2: Yeah, slight change in direction, Alex. Bob Melvin, who is arguably the best manager in the game, is also no longer in Oakland. How do Bob and uh, Joe Girardi compare based on your early impressions of, of Joe Girardi?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're very different. I don't really have a feel yet for how Joe relates to his own players. So I don't really know if I can speak to that. But Bob you know, he was absolutely beloved by his players. And he was also someone that was, you know, he told it straight, which players respected a lot. Like they didn't feel like he was kind of BSing them or anything or, you know, being disingenuous about anything. Or So they really appreciated the way that he communicated. He was a great communicator. Not to say that Joe isn't, you know, with his guys and stuff. I don't, I don't really know what those relationships are like yet. But that was an, an area that Melvin really really excelled and you know it's tricky to do in Oakland because you have guys going in and out every year. There's a ton of turnover with you know, guys become right before they hit free agency to they get dealt or they leave as free agents, so he gets an influx of new guys you know, it's like it's he always would have to deal with this constant shuffling of uh, you know, personalities and players coming in and out. So I gave him a lot of credit for being able to be the glue that kept all that together. So yeah.
2: Yeah, let's jump, Alex, to the lineup that Girardi will be putting on the field, with the exception of Castellanos, who didn't play. Was today's lineup essentially what we're going to see on opening day? I guess I'm saying that not thinking we want to bore listeners by reading the entire lineup.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think some iteration of this. I, you know, they've been a little, as you've heard, David, in uh, like av- media availabilities and stuff, they've been a little bit skittish about saying that Jor- or Schwarber is going to lead off, but it does seem like that's something that they're considering. So I wouldn't be shocked if they do lead them off sometimes. So, so yeah, I think that this would probably, I'm looking at it now, I think this would probably be um, something, you know, the bottom might shuffle a little bit, but I think the top five, Yeah is probably what we're going to see. And then, you know, Castellanos somewhere. So that so that first six is going to be pretty tough for pitchers. I, I told that to Kevin Long the other day, and he was like, we don't feel bad for them. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know, I get it. I get your point of view, but this is not going to be an easy lineup for them to face.
2: No, hitting coaches never feel bad about uh, the opposing <laughs> pitchers, much as pitching coaches never feel bad uh, about dominating hitters.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think Schwarber gave some great quotes the other day about how he wants to like suffocate the pitcher or something or, or I don't know he gave some it was some interesting verb that he used
2: no Schwarber is, is certainly you know certainly media friendly you know he's <laughs> a great quote very personable you really recently talked Alex to some of uh, Schwarber's former teammates you know about him you know what did they say
1: yeah it was um it was really interesting to talk to guys from his previous teams Red Sox Cubs you know the gist of the story was just that you know, everyone says that this guy is a winner, and I started looking back at his, you know, his track record, and he, you know, goes to Indiana in I think 2012, and then the next year they make it to the College World Series for the first time, and you know, stuff like that kind of has happened throughout his career. He's been in the bigs for seven years, and six of those years he's made it to the postseason. So he really, you know, it just seemed like a little bit much to be a coincidence even I don't know maybe there was some sort of luck involved in that but basically just talked to his teammates about you know what makes him a winner what is it about him that you know he keeps ending up on these on these teams these teams that end up in the postseason and you know I, I heard a lot of stuff like he's really great at mentoring younger players like Bobby Dahlbeck with the Red Sox he really helped turn him around um helped him with his hitting and I heard a really funny story from Lester, John Lester, when they were on the Cubs together about how um, <laughs> he would uh, always mess up a catch or something when he was in left field when Lester was pitching, which would infuriate him. And then when Lester was in his last season with the Cubs, Shorper made a video montage of all the times he had muffled a catch and Lester's reactions were included in the montage. And he played it to Sarah McLaughlin's I Will Remember You, which obviously is a hilarious combination of that video and. That, that music. So I think that that too is is part of why he's been so successful: is the ability to not make the moment so big, the ability to make fun of himself. But you know he can he can he's also intense. You know he can turn it on. He's he's super focused. So it seems like it's a good he has a good strikes a good balance of those two those two things.
2: No, and uh, Kyle Schwarber also can hit a baseball a very long that too. distance. No, I think everybody listening has seen him hit moonshots in Wrigley, you know, the big one off of Garrett Cole at Fenway. Yes, yes. That also
1: helps. Yeah, I'm
2: I'm saying it's great. I guess if you're a Yankee (laughs) fan hearing that, it really was not so great to see that ball (laughs) sailing into the bleachers.
1: Yeah, yeah, probably not.
2: We probably can't talk about the Phillies without bringing up Bryce Harper. What are your Mm -hmm. first impressions of Bryce
1: you know obviously his uh vp is like you know otherworldly so there's that but i haven't really seen you know it's spring training so you take it with a grain of salt but he really does seem to kind of set the tone for the clubhouse in terms of how he goes about his work and how he acts even around the media you know today he was talking to peter gammons for what seemed like i don't know like half an hour more i could be wrong so yeah i mean it just seems kind of like he's The clubhouse leader and sets the example and it also seems like he's someone that really deeply cares about winning um, which i think is interesting because you know i'm sure when you get a career defining contract like the one that he got a little while ago it could be easy to check out a little bit and not be as invested in the team's long-term success but he definitely seems involved so (laughs) i find that interesting about him too
2: yeah seeing Peter at the park today and chatting him with him was great. You know, Peter being out of Boston, you know we speak often. I think listeners every listener is used to you know hearing Peter speak. I think maybe what people don't appreciate is if you ever run into him on the field or maybe off the field and he'll just hold court with you, and he will tell you stories and anecdotes that are just. It's really amazing stuff. I don't know if you've had that opportunity yet, Alex.
1: I haven't, this was actually, we've like gone back and forth on email a couple of times, but today was actually the first time I met him in person. So I'm gonna have to um, ask him for some stories (laughs) the next time I run into him. But, But yeah, I mean, he's definitely got a wealth of knowledge. For sure.
2: Yeah, let's jump back, Alex, to the the lineup today. Adam Hazley was in center field, Matt Vierling, one of the top prospects in the org, was in left. But my understanding is that Vierling can play center. Are those two battling for the center field job in Philadelphia, you know, to be that the middle of the corner outfielders who are, you know, bat first?
1: Yeah. So today it came out, today being Wednesday, March 23rd, (laughs) it came out that uh, uh, Girardi told us that Oduble Herrera had an MRI and it showed that he has a mild strain in his right oblique, which they think means that he'll be out for roughly four to six weeks. So yeah, it seems like those guys could either platoon or they might be in competition for a spot. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out really doesn't have nearly as much experience as, at center field as hazley does but beer coming off i think 34 games played last year really made an impact and they're really high on him and you know he has other assets going for him like his speed he made some tweaks with kevin long before the lockout that have been working really well for him so the bat has been good this spring so we'll see how it shakes out but girardi also mentioned that a platoon might be possible so couple options
2: Options are always good for managers. Another attribute that Virling has is a degree from Notre Dame, which I learned when I spoke to him yesterday. Very articulate person for, for sure, as is Reese Hoskins, who I talked to today. He very much lived up to his reputation of a good interview. And that has me thinking, You know, who has most impressed you in that respect since you joined The Beat? And who stood out in Oakland? I mean, in Oakland, I guess there was a lot of Zoom, so it's a little different dynamic. Yeah,
1: but I, I got to know those. I mean, I I basically got to know those guys over phone, like text or, you know, I'd call them sometimes. So it wasn't as good as the face-to-face interaction, but I was able to get some good interviews done. Reese is up there, honestly. I really like talking to him. Shorber, in the brief time that I talked to him a couple of days ago, seemed to be insightful. I would say those two, just off the top of my head, but I'm sure that I'm forgetting someone. I probably need the roster in front of me.
2: And as someone who has very little experience in the Phillies clubhouse, I'll throw Bailey Falter out as a guy who I think might be pretty good. I I talked to Bailey yesterday you know, pitcher, of course, left-handed pitcher. He have the one of the most extreme extensions of, of mm. any pitcher ever, as he is so far mm. off the mound when he delivers the ball that, it, that it's unreal.
1: I have not talked to him yet, so I will have to add him to the list. Veerling, like you said, is great. Kyle Gibson is great too. Very smart guy. Sometimes he's a little bit too smart for me. I'm like, I have to ask him to talk to me like I'm a five-year-old uh, when he starts going on pitching <laughs> tangents. But, um, <laughs> you know, he's very, very intelligent.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I missed getting an opportunity to talk to Kyle uh, on my sh- you know short visit in Clearwater, which is disappointing because I've had some great conversations with him. And we're running out of time here but a few more things Alex mm-hmm. Ruben Amaro suggested to me yesterday that I talk to Ranger Suarez if I mm-hmm. get an opportunity and I didn't you know much as with mm-hmm. Kyle I didn't see Ranger in the clubhouse Ruben said that Ranger uses an interpreter mm-hmm. that is I believe something you actually don't need you are fluent in Spanish
1: I am I always like to say I am proficient instead of fluent because I do make some grammatical mistakes I cannot you know I can't speak Spanish like I speak English, but I can definitely have a conversation with them. You know, and it's been a great asset for me in my career, just because even if my Spanish isn't per- perfect, which it isn't, I do think that the effort of trying to speak someone's native language means something. I think that that's, it's important to try. And it's something that I, tr- I try to improve. I make an effort to try to improve it, whether it's speaking a little bit every day or reading or listening to something or whatever that might be. So, so yeah, that's been and that's been a nice thing in the post-Zoom era, is just being able to go up to these guys and just talk to them in Spanish and explain how I, why I know Spanish and how like grammar is a mess and asking them to be patient with me and all that fun stuff. So, so yeah, it's been, it's definitely been an asset for sure.
2: No, I am envious because I struggle with English, so. Uh, I would love to be able to struggle with two languages as as well yeah where did you study Spanish yeah
1: so my mom my mom's side of the family is from Chile so when I was in college my junior year I decided to go abroad to Chile for six months and typically in those study abroad programs it can be pretty easy to speak English you know you're there with other American students so if you really want to speak English it's you know it's very possible but I basically went down there with the goal of for six months I'm only gonna speak Spanish and I stuck to that for the most part when I wasn't in class with a, other you know American students so it really helped my confidence in speaking it you know I, I think I went down there with the just a lot of insecurities about my grammar mistakes and uh, my accent and things like that but by the time you know six months later uh, I felt a lot more comfortable using it and now I can you know, pretty much walk up to anyone and just start talking which is nice so so yeah that was where i really firmed it up i would say is in chile
2: and college for you i believe was william and mary
1: yes william and mary in virginia
2: in virginia that see that's something that i may or may not have known it's they're one of <laughs> they william and mary is a good example of a school when march madness comes around where you'll see the name of the school like st peter's you know this year yes. was one of those schools is Okay, you know, where is that?
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so
2: Virginia for William and Mary.
1: Yes, yes, William and Mary in Williamsburg, so um, pretty close to the North Carolina border.
2: Nice. So, okay, so last question. Before I let you go, I won't ask you for a prediction on the Philly season. (laughs) I know that's impossible. I've had a few people. (laughs) No, I've had a few people tell me this team could be really, really good or not very good.
1: Or, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I have no idea what to, I mean, we'll see, but I have no idea what to expect. That's why they play the game. But no,
2: Alex, (laughs) what I do want to ask you for an under the radar pick for you a player to watch Mm. who is going to open some eyes this year
1: i mean i don't know if veerling is necessarily under the radar right now it seems like fans really know who he is but what i've seen out of him has been great so far and you know he seems really determined to make this work and now he's got this opportunity you know with herrera being down for a couple of weeks so who knows? He might get Wally picked. <laughs> it's, it's always
2: possible. No, Birling had at least one, I think, or maybe two base hits today.
1: Yeah, he had two singles. And one of them came off as bad at like, I think, 104, something like that. So pretty good.
2: No, he looked good. And, you know, I will close here by saying that I was ecstatic to be at a spring training ballpark in 80 degree weather rather than to be in the cold uh, waiting, waiting for a lockout to end, and uh, yes. despite the grind that comes with being a beat writer, I'm sure you feel similar. That it's great yeah. to have baseball.
1: Yes, and it's great to have sunshine as long as you have a lot of sunscreen. A lesson that I learned the hard way. You know, it's been nice to be down here and feel like there's a semblance of uh, normalcy.
2: Normalcy is good, Alex. You know, thank you again for uh, coming on to Fangraphs Audio.
1: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me.
2: And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to this week's Fangraphs Audio.
0: This has been Fangraphs Audio. Thank you to Alex Coffey for joining us, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the program, consider telling a friend or two about it. It helps us out. After you head over to the Fangraphs shop, make sure to sign up for the Fangraphs newsletter as well. It is the best way to keep up on everything we have going on at the site. Free to your inbox every weekday. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week.